you, sir. Well, good morning. Once again, good to see you in the house of the Lord, and it's a tremendous joy for me to be here. When the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, he stole my line. It was before my time, so we'll forgive him for that, but that's how I feel. I was glad. You ought to be glad to come to church. I, I look forward to this. Of course, I was born into a, a home where two months after I was born, my dad got saved. And uh, my dad got really saved. <laughs> and he just decided that every single time the doors of the church were open, that's where a believer ought to be. And so from the first year of my life until now, and I'm uh, 54 now. <laughs> Why are you laughing? All right, 55. I'm 65 uh, this year. And uh, every Sunday... Every Wednesday, every time the doors open in between, it seems like that's where I've been. I've been in church and uh, all kinds of churches and some really exciting services and some that I caught up on my sleep. <clears throat> but what a place to be. I can't imagine life outside of church. I just cannot. And I'm delighted to be here. I've already told the folks this week, if you were here, I was sharing with them uh, the connections I have here. This is called homecoming. It's your anniversary, but it's called homecoming. And I honestly feel like I'm coming home because I was in the country of Iran in 1979 and I came home. I'm from the United States, so I came home to the United States, was seeking the Lord's will. And my wife and I had made friends with a young couple at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, where, we were, where I was preparing for the ministry. And um, we actually shared a house together. We got married, got a house. Uh, it was split right down the center. I mean, right down the center. And, uh, and on the other side was a rock band or some members of a rock band. We prayed them out. And then we asked if we could go find somebody from the Bible College to be the residence next door. And it ended up being Mike L. Stock, who God used to found this church. Mike and Betty Elstock, and so they were good friends. So I said, hey, let's go up to Canada. We're free. We don't have any responsibility. Let's, let's go up to Canada and visit Mike and Betty. And we've never been to Canada, so we came to Canada, and this was our first place to, to stop, to rest. And, uh, and the first place I ever preached in Canada was in the gymnasium where Bible Baptist Church was meeting. You were about two and a half years old then, and uh, Mrs. Luxton was there and her husband Fred what a blessing to see her still here and still uh, being in the house of the Lord and uh, so that was our beginnings uh, Mike Elstock and I had been college classmates and uh, by the way our church is going to celebrate 40 years so it was his influence while we were here visiting here he drove me all over Ontario we went up to Toronto we visited all these cities we went to Hamilton we ended up getting stuck and and getting lost and ending up in Hamilton twice but the bottom line, he was telling me, look at all these places that need churches. I wasn't interested at the time, but it was very apparent within a month's time, that's what God wanted me to do, come to Hamilton, Ontario and start a church. So we did, came into the country in September of 79 and started in December. So this December, we'll celebrate our 40th anniversary and it all began right here. And by the way, it was your church that wrote the letter to get us across the border saying we were coming in and you were going to take responsibility for us. So don't stop now. If something goes wrong or there's trouble, it's all your fault. It's all coming back to you. All right. I'll also give you the, the, the credit. So I'm going to, if I give you the blame, I'll also give you the credit. But anyway, um, 
Mike had a burden for camp. He and I, I, I always loved camping. Camping was probably the hugest influence in my life growing up. I can't spend my preaching time talking about that. But um, he and I got to talking, and so we had a camp. I don't know if anybody in this place would remember it. But uh, we didn't call it Camp Yes. We rented a place down along the river somewhere around uh, outside of Tilsonburg, like a little Boy Scout camp or whatever. And uh, he and I ran a camp together. And there were some people that came from a few other churches and participated. And uh, that was the very next year we decided to rent a place in Leamington. Uh, and uh, we called it Camp Yes. God laid that on my heart. Youth excited about salvation. The very first day, the very first service of that camp, somebody walked up to me and said, hey, we were just at a camp meeting and we heard a song. Can we share it to you? We think you'll like it as a theme song for the camp. It was called, I'll Say Yes, Lord, Yes. And so, right, I mean, the first day, God gave me the name for the camp, the very first day of camp, we had a song, been singing it ever since. So it's been wonderful. So again, that's the connection. Mike uh, Elstock and I did that together. And we also taught together in a Bible college in Simcoe, uh, where his father-in-law was the pastor. And it was called Baptist Bible College um, and, uh, of Canada. And we both taught there. And one of the students that was there was a young fellow by the name of Al Stone. And uh, he was one of the students. Now, don't blame me. There were, there were other teachers. <laughs> but he was one of the students. And, of course, the Lord in time led Brother Elstock to go back to the States and open the door for Pastor Al Stone to come here and take this church. And I think I can safely say, in all honesty, the old saying where the student has eclipsed the teacher. I have marveled at how God has used Pastor Stone and what God has used him to do here, what God's used him to do around the world with young people and in churches and with the scriptures. What a wonderful blessing God has given you. So there's another connection. Now, he probably won't want to acknowledge it, but I'm telling you anyway, since he won't. So we had that connection. And... Um, and then, uh, what, 20-some years ago, nearly 30 years ago, uh, he brought Mike Holland here. And uh, wow, what a blessing Mike Holland has been to my life. Uh, what an able preacher and teacher of the Word of God. What a genuine man, a genuine friend. And uh, we've, uh, we've enjoyed a lot of time together, so thankful for that. Uh, Levi, uh, who is also on staff here, so you uh, he uh, grew up in our church. God gave us the joy and privilege of watching him grow up as a child and watching him surrender his life to serve the Lord and go off to train at college. And now God's brought him here. So there's another connection. Uh, your pastor, I met him, uh, I think, probably for the first time when he came to school at the, the, the uh, Faithway Baptist College in Ajax. But his wife, Beth, I knew her from when she was a little girl. And you were a camper at camp, yes, were you not? And so I knew her uh, a long time. So there's all these connections. Um, and uh, I marvel at how God is using them. And I've come to the church and I see what's going on. You have a tremendous staff, pastoral staff of leadership. I hope you love them and honor them and follow them. I've been at this for a long time. I've seen a lot of churches. I've been a lot of places. You have a pastor, an associate, a youth pastor that are second to none. 
and I listen to them preaching on the internet while I'm out delivering papers in, on the weekday mornings and, and they nourish me and bless me and be thankful, love them, appreciate them, support them, encourage them all that you can. And then all the way through this room are people too numerous for me to mention your name. I've known you for years. And what I rejoice in is that you're still here. Or maybe you were in another church, now you're here, but you're faithfully still loving the Lord, still serving the Lord. And some of you, I know the heartaches you've been through. I know some of the disappointments you've experienced. And here you are, faithful, which is the testimony to God's faithfulness to us, isn't it? And not only am I rejoicing when I come here, when I come home because of the faithfulness that I see, but the fruitfulness. Because there are a lot of folks in this room, I shook your hand this morning, I have no idea who you are where you came from, how long you've been here. And I love that when I go to a church that there are new faces, new people, because that means the church is being fruitful, not only being faithful, but being fruitful. And you're also very friendly, church. Uh, I've felt warmly welcomed and uh, kindly treated and uh, so much. It's already been mentioned that the Johnsons have been helping at camp. And I, say, I would say to you the last two summers uh, at our camp have been tremendously um, wonderful for my wife and I to have this family there and they truly, I don't know what they're like here, but I know what they're like at camp. They are servants waiting for me and sometimes anticipating what needs to be done and me not even have to say anything. I thank God for them. And uh, so many others in this room, I've watched you grow and, and I've been able to have a, a part in your life and I'm so thankful. Take your Bible, if you would, please, and go to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. <laughs> It, it seems like you need to do that, like you need to kind of break the ice and you need to talk. And I, I want to talk. I don't want to build up anybody. I don't want to. It's not a mutual admiration society. And I, I really am reluctant to do any of that because I'm wasting preaching time. By the grace of God, I want to help you this morning answer a question that's posed in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I've been challenging the church this weekend that you, the church is the bride of Christ and you are the body of Christ. So it's been all about the Lord Jesus and truly the church is all about the body. He's our head and we are his body. The church, he, gave, he loved it and gave himself for it. Uh, the Bible says that God purchased the church with his own blood, Acts chapter 20. So it's all about Jesus, and that's who we're going to read about here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Look with me at verse number 35. This is at the end of a long day of teaching and instruction and ministry. And so the even was come, the same day when the even was come, the evening. He, that is Jesus, saith unto them, that is his disciples, and I believe others as well as you'll see in a moment, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was, again, we're referring to Jesus, in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Uh, I'm assuming they said it with a lot more intensity than what I just read. 
they're in trouble. These are, these are men used to the water and used to the storms, and they're terrified. Master, don't you care that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, here's the question, what manner of man is this? What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father in heaven, thank you for the blessed work of salvation wrought on our behalf at Calvary. Thank you for giving me the blessing of serving you and of this morning the privilege to stand in this place and preach your word to these, your children. I pray you'll bless your word, that every heart would receive that which it needs. There would be ministry done through the word and by your spirit in all of us. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. What manner of man is this? With God's help, I want to answer it for you, answer that question for you. First of all, I would answer the question this way. The kind of man who would rather travel with sinners than travel alone. That's who he is. Jesus the man of whom they're asking the question, I can answer that. He's the kind of man who would rather travel with sinners than travel alone. My Bible tells me that Jesus was the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, in flesh. And there was a day when he was not in flesh on earth, but was with the Father. And that day, he, along with his Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. So here's God in eternity past, not wanting to travel alone. Now, the, the Godhead, one God, distinct in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So they had fellowship with each other, but not content to go on alone. He said, let us make man in our image. And so God made man and communed with man and fellowshiped with man. He made him and he, he made the earth and he placed him in the earth and they, they fellowshiped together. I'm telling you, as the God-man, he did not want to travel alone. He'd rather travel with men, but those men sinned against him. And so you would think that perhaps God would, would be done with his creation, but he's not because he's the kind of man, Jesus is the kind of man that would rather travel with sinners than travel alone. So God said, I will atone for man's sin. God came up and, gave, and, and already devised a plan. Uh, the Bible says that he devised our, the plan of salvation in eternity past, but he redeemed us. Why? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looked at sinners and said, I don't want them to travel alone, and I don't want to travel without them. They're my creation. They're lost to me, but I want to bring them back. So he redeemed them. Can I suggest to you that the man we're reading about in Mark chapter 4, he says, let us go over to the other side. 
I would be so bold as to say to you, he wants to travel with you. When we think about the other side, we often think of death. What's beyond death, beyond Jordan, as, as Christians are wont to say. The, the fact is, life is like a journey. Uh, we begin, we, we, we put out onto the waters when we're born, and we're sailing through the, the seas of life, headed for a destination on the other side. And eventually, we'll reach the other side. And along the way in our journey, we know by experience that a journey through the sea is often beset by sudden disturbances. Storms arise, storms involving our family, storms involving our finances, storms involving friendships, all kinds of troubled water and all kinds of stormy situations. You don't have to go through those alone. I'm telling you that Jesus, the man of whom we're reading and who they said, who, what manner of man is this? I'll tell you what kind of man he is. He's the man who'd rather travel with you than travel alone. He's offering you an invitation all through the scriptures. He's inviting folks to come. In Matthew chapter 11, he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, cast your lot in with me. He wants to travel with you. Jesus said, by the way, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent me. And he said, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone would see it the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You don't have to travel alone. So I speak this morning to saved, redeemed members of Bible Baptist Church, and I simply remind you that the Jesus who saved you is one who would rather travel with sinners than travel alone. And so when you sin, go back to him. He atoned for your sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He's not abandoning you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. While he was here in John chapter 13, we read that while he was here with his disciples, having loved them in this world, he loved them unto the end. He's a faithful friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, the songwriter said. You have the privilege of traveling with them. Don't go through life's journey on your own. It's not just about getting saved and then anticipating heaven and looking forward to getting to heaven one day. He wants you to travel with him. And what a privilege, what an opportunity for us. And by the way, the, his presence with you on the journey is loaded with promise. First of all, the promise of his fellowship without. If he's with you in the ship, if you are traveling with him, you have the privilege of fellowshipping with the eternal son of the living God in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The one who is fairer than the fairest. He's the one who is beautiful beyond all measure. And if you invite, if you travel with him, you have the promise of his fellowship through the journey you also have his promise of the fellowship on the other side. When he said, let us go over to the other side, if Jesus said we're going to the other side, guess where we're going? To the other side. We're not going down in the midst of the sea. We're going to the other side. 
See, his lot is bound up with mine. And if my lot is bound up in his, where he goes, I'm going. He said, I am he that is alive. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And so his presence in my life promise, gives me the promise of his fellowship along the journey, his fellowship at the end of the journey, but also it gives me this promise, the promise of safe passage to the other side. We sometimes get it all mixed up. We think that the presence of Jesus in our lives means the absence of storms. It does not. Read your Bible. This isn't the only time that Jesus and his disciples were in a storm. The presence of Jesus doesn't guarantee the absence of storms, but you don't want to go through the storms without the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus in the midst of the storm means you don't have to worry about the storm, means that the storm doesn't have to destroy you or overtake you because he can handle the storm. Do you understand that? Maybe you're not a member of this church. You're not saved. You're not redeemed. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I've known him for years now. He loves sinners. He receives sinners. He redeems sinners. He identifies with sinners. If you read the pages of Scripture, sinners are coming from everywhere because of the winsomeness and attractiveness of Jesus. And they're finding in him that which they couldn't find anywhere else. If you've never met him, I beg you. He, I, and, and you're wondering, who is this Jesus? I'm telling you who he is. He's a man who doesn't want to travel alone. He wants to travel with you. And the amazing thing about Jesus is if he's traveling with you, it's as if you're the only one journeying with him. His attention is always on you. Now, the other person in the boat, they feel the same way. His attention is only on them. But in truth, it's on both of you. It's on everyone because he's God. But it's a personal attention. Oh, I beg you, answer his call. He wants you to go with him to the other side. He wants to go with you to the other side. And by the way, that's the only way you'll get to the other side called heaven. Because he said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. You need him to get to the other side. Don't make the journey on your own. And, and Christian, don't just anticipate the other side. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy his fellowship, his friendship. We talked about that on Thursday night. He, who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved, fellowshipping with her groom? Number two, who is this man? What manner of man is this? I'll tell you. He's a man who is more disturbed by the cry of a perishing soul than he is disturbed by the crisis of a perilous storm. I'll say it again. He's a man, he's the kind of man, what manner of man is he? The kind of man that's more disturbed by the cry of a perishing soul than he is disturbed by the crisis of a perilous storm. When the storm arises, where is Jesus? If you remember what we read, he's asleep on the hinder part of the sh ship on a pillow. The storm's not bothering him. He's not disturbed by the crisis of a perilous storm. What wakes him up? It's not the storm. It's the cry. Master, master. 
Master, carest thou not that we perish? Instantly, Jesus is awake. And all through Scripture, what moves Jesus, what motivates Jesus, is hearing the cry of a blind man by the wayside, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops and said, who said that? He's, he's not concerned about the storm. He's more concerned about a cry of a perishing soul. By the way, where are they going? They're going to the other side. In chapter 5, when they arrive at the other side of the sea, immediately, as soon as Jesus disembarks from the ship, immediately, verse 2, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, get the language now, always, night and day, 24-7, he's in the mountains and in the tombs, he's crying. He's doing what? I'm sorry, he's doing what? He's crying. The disciples didn't hear him across the sea, but somebody did. God hears the cry of his creation, and Jesus heard the cry, and Jesus said, hey, guys, let's go over to the other side. Why? Hey, do you think that there's ever been a weatherman on earth that knew better what was coming in the weather than Jesus? The one who made everything. He's the best meteorologist the world has ever known. You think he's unaware that a storm's about to come up on the sea? No, he's not unaware, but he's not disturbed by that. What he is disturbed by is the cry of a perishing soul. And if he has to go through a perilous storm to get to the perishing soul, that's what he's going to do. He hears a man crying 24-7. Nobody can do anything with him. He has no hope. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody can control him. He needs someone to love him, somebody to set him free. And Jesus hears. Listen to me. Nobody else may be hearing your cry when you sob yourself to sleep at night, but he does. And he's more concerned about helping you than he is about any storm or any difficulty. And church, if you are his body, you need to be like him. You need to be more concerned about the cry of perishing souls than perilous storms. Most rescue situations involve stormy weather. And are we going to refuse to go rescue the perishing because it's windy, because it's raining, because it's snowing, because it's dangerous? No, we'll brave the danger to rescue the perishing. The songwriter said, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep for the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. You want to know what man or man he is? He's the, he's the kind of man that would rather travel with you as a sinner then travel alone. Oh, what a Savior. And he's the kind of man that's more disturbed by the cry of a perishing soul than the crisis of a perilous storm. What about you? Members of Bible Baptist Church, do the cry of perishing souls ever reach your ears? Is your heart ever troubled? Are you more burdened about that than 
by difficult times and difficult situations and betrayals of friendship and unkindness. What really matters to you? Let me tell you about my Jesus. He loves souls and he cares about those who weep. All through the Bible, God lets us know that his ears are open to the cry of the righteous. His eyes are upon, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on the behalf of him whose heart is perfect toward him. The one who's crying out to him, the one who's seeking him. That's Jesus. Hey, if you're not a member of this church, I'm sure you've been in a storm. Maybe you're in one right now. I'm going to tell you there's nobody who cares for you or can care for you like Jesus. I'm sure the members of this church will care for you the best they can, but not like Jesus. They'll do their best they can with Jesus as their example, but you need to walk with Jesus. And he can hear the cry and you can say things to him you can't say to anybody else. Songwriter said, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. No one. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, written by a man living in Port Hope, Ontario, after losing two sweethearts many years apart, never realizing getting married to the woman of his dreams, having two different sweethearts, both of them dying what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. That's who he is. Want to know what kind of man he is? He's the kind of man who's more concerned about the cry of a perishing soul. Wow. That's the kind of man I want to be with. He said, let us go over the other side. When I read that, I thought, other side of the tracks? Will you go to the other side of the tracks? To the other side of the economic structure? Will you go to the other side where folks don't live like you and don't have what you have? Do you, do you care enough about the cry that it would take you to the other side? That's the way Jesus was. I would say earth is the other side of heaven, wouldn't you? And he heard the cry of sinners perishing and he left the glories of heaven and came here to the other side. For you and for me. Oh, hey, let me point something out to you. We read in verse 21, I don't have time to explain this, but the people where this demoniac was didn't want Jesus to stick around, so they asked him to leave. And he does leave. And so we read in verse 21, when Jesus was passed over again by ship onto the other side, so he went back. He, he left there and came to the other side. Then he leaves there and goes to the other side. Well, what happens when he gets to the other side? I'll tell you. A man who's a ruler of the synagogue who has a little girl at the point of death comes to him and cries and said, I pray thee, verse 23, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed. And she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. 
and a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years, she's been diseased for 12 years, suffered many things of many physicians, spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the crowd as he's headed for this house where this little girl is dying, and she said, if I, and she came and touched his garment, saying, if I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Here's another cry. He came back to the other side, and people are crying there, crying out because of death, crying out because of disease. She gets healed. Jesus stops and has a conversation, delaying his going to the house where the little girl's dying. And by the time he gets done dealing with the woman and she's made whole of her disease of blood, guess what happens? A messenger shows up from the ruler's house and says to the ruler, don't bother him anymore. She's dead. She's gone. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. And he went with him to the house where the little girl lay dead. And he raised her to life again. Are you getting the picture? You want to know what kind of man Jesus is? Kind of man that will go wherever there's a crying soul. Someone facing desperation, death, disease, heartache. And that troubles him a whole lot more than the weather. Troubles him a whole lot more than anything else, for he's in control of it all. And I'm going to finally say, there's more I wanted to say, but for time's sake, I'm just going to give you one more. What manner of man is this? He's the kind of man who not only has the power, or who has the power to calm troubled souls, as well as troubled seas. That's who he is. Because in the boat, on the way over the other side, the storm arises. We find out he's the man who has the power to calm the storm. He says, peace, be still, and everything is calm again. When he gets to the other side, he meets that demoniac. And if you read the story, for time's sake, I won't take you there. But if you read in chapter 5, he speaks to that man. And he commands that the evil spirits come out of him. And the next thing you know, we find him. The people of the town come out. They find him sitting, not running, clothed, and in his right mind. You want to know what kind of man Jesus is? The kind of man who has the power to calm the troubled soul as well as calm the troubled sea. That's who he is. And by the way, to bring peace to troubled souls as well as to troubled seas. It's interesting to me, there arose a storm and, verse 39, he arose. Jesus has the power to change lives. By the way, these disciples who are in the boat with him asking the question, what manner of man is this? Do you know that a little while later when Jesus faced the cross, they all went, except John. And when he had even risen from the grave, they're hiding behind closed doors, locked doors for fear for their lives. But you know what happened? We read then a few chapters later in the book of Acts 
that they're being threatened with death. They're being beaten and commanded not to preach in his name. And the Bible said they were full of the Holy Ghost and power. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. I'm showing you, not only do we see his power to calm the soul in the lives of the unsaved, but to change the lives of those that are his disciples. They were troubled and fearful. And he asked them a question, why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? And then a few chapters later, when, when they're walking in discipleship without him and he's gone into heaven, now they're preaching and they're praising God and they're accepting beatings and they're willing to lay down their lives to death. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They'd been with Jesus. And by the way, the scripture says they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus because he can calm the troubled soul as well as the troubled sea. The songwriter said, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit and help me, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Have you ever wondered who Jesus really is? Who the man Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, was crucified Outside of Jerusalem, you ever wonder who he is? Wonder what kind of man he is? I've tried to help you this morning. He's the kind of man to rather trouble with you as a sinner than to travel alone. He's the kind of man that's more disturbed by the cry of a perishing soul than a perilous storm. He's the kind of man who can bring peace to troubled souls as well as troubled seas. And he wants to go with you to the other side. One more scripture and we're done. Go with me to Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107. Verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships. That do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord. And his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth. And raiseth the stormy wind. Which lifteth up the waves thereof. They, that is the waves, mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. And they're at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Can you praise the Lord this morning? You and I are on a troubled sea and sure as the world with God in control are gonna be some pretty high waves some pretty stormy situations, but he's the master of the sea. You'll want him in the boat. 
and you can be confident that they'll see you through in church, no matter what lies in the future for you. You have nothing to fear. And oh, how I beg you that you will learn of him. Peter said this about this world that's perishing. He said, seeing that the heavens and the earth and all these things are going to perish away, what manner of persons ought you to be? I can answer that. You ought to be the, the kind of person that Jesus is. If you know what manner of man he is, then that tells you what manner of man you ought to be, what manner of church we ought to be. If you've never met Jesus, come this morning and let somebody introduce you to him. You can walk away with him in the boat with you and journey with him the rest of your life to the other side.